CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's proceedings. And let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about yourself? Grinding, working uh, working away, trying to see if Steve Sarkeesian can get this staff completed uh, here at some point. Have you we'll slept? We'll discuss that on this week's show. Yes, I have <laughs> slept a little bit. Because last time we uh, talked to you, you said that you just came in. You were up all night last week's show, so I assumed you almost had to pull the same thing this week. No, not not as bad. I did uh, I did do a little cyber-stalking of uh, Pete Kwiatkowski uh, late Monday night into Tuesday, and we'll uh, we'll run down some of that. Uh, now that we know he is a candidate for the defense coordinator job at Texas as we sit here and record the show. Uh, and there's nobody better to talk defense with uh, than the uh, third member of our team. He is our lockdown corner on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will Make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B., how are you, sir? Hey, thanks for the intro, brother. I appreciate it. And make sure to get some sleep, man. That's important, brother. We'll break it down yep. if you don't. I am uh, I'm working on surely we're yeah. getting there uh, and slowly but surely the Steve Sarkeesian Texas staff is coming together guys let's go ahead and, and address as we sit here right now and record this uh, we, we won't I don't know we might not go too deep into it we might we'll see what happens with this defensive coordinator search because as we sit here right now what we can say at horns 24 7 is uh, is that Pete Kwiatkowski the Washington defensive coordinator is definitely a candidate at this point. Uh, that's what uh, we can say right now. I had this job on Friday for about, I don't know, 10 minutes until he didn't. Uh, we know Steve Sarkeesian has pursued Pete Golding. Uh, you know, the interest of Mississippi State, Zach Arnett, I, I don't know that it's been much more than that. Guys, just interest. I don't know how serious those talks have gotten, if they've even gotten very far down the road. I, I don't believe that they have at this point. So... Rod, as Steve Sarkeesian, we'll start with you this week, Rod, as Steve Sarkeesian gets close to the finish line of putting this staff together, 
it's interesting because all the guys that have popped up in the D.C. search, with the exception of Chris Ash, who now looks like he is headed to Jacksonville to be with Urban Meyer, everybody kind of fits the mold of what Steve Sarkeesian wants in a defensive coordinator, which he said, look, he wants an attacking style of defense, an aggressive style of defense. And to me, that signals, look, you just want complimentary football, right? If you want to be aggressive, dynamic, and wide open on offense, you need a defense that's going to take some chances, try to force turnovers, try to get you those one or two extra possessions in a game that could make all the difference in the world at the end. So, Rod, where are you at on – we'll talk about the whole staff as we go through this week's show, as it looks right now, but where are you at uh, on, on this defensive coordinator search, good, bad, or indifferent? Um, I like that he's taking his time. I don't want him to rush it. Um, I, I thought there would be more of an expedited timeline because when he started hiring assistants, <laughs> we all assumed, oh, he's hiring assistants. He definitely knows who, who his defensive coordinator is going to be, or at least he has a really good idea of the top candidates and he likes all of them. Um, and now we know what well, at least we expect Blake Gideon and Terry Joseph, uh, Bo Davis, like we expect those assistants. And for him to do that means you know, that he either knew who his defensive coordinator was going to be, and maybe he did and maybe he didn't, and the top candidates just came off the board, right? At first, like you said, it was Muschamp was going to be the guy, and Muschamp, personal stuff, uh, family stuff, and other issues, maybe taking a respite. Muschamp wasn't going to be the guy, and then Dan Quinn's name pops up. It's like, oh, it's definitely going to be Dan Quinn. Cowboys swoop in, get Dan Quinn. Uh, You know, then the Zach Arnett stuff comes up, and Pete Golding names becomes really popular, and then Dan Lanning, all of a sudden, like you said, he was going to be the guy, and then Dan Lanning uh, decides that he's going to stay there at Georgia, and now uh, Kwiatkowski is the popular name. So I, I think one thing they all have in common is they're multiple. Uh, look at all those defensive coordinators background. They're multiple. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like you said, he wants an attacking. That's one of the things he's mentioned. That's one of the uh, the main uh, traits of defense that he's talking about. He wants an attacking, aggressive style. As we talked about last week, that's not really Chris Ash, right? Chris Ash is about being, you know, fundamentally sound, bend but don't breaks, a different style of defense. Uh, but uh, with Kwiatkowski, uh, I think it, it kind of fits. He wants potentially a very malleable front uh, with the three-man front, potentially. And I think he wants uh, a defensive coordinator that can be multidimensional and I think all those guys, you study their background, it does show you that those guys, they're not so rigid. And not saying Chris Ash is rigid. I did see him make a lot of adjustments. But his defense is not really known as being an attacking style defense. So I like that he's taking his time. He's got to get these hires right. We've talked about that time and time again. Don't get it. You know, don't mess up your first, uh, you know, your first coaching hires because then if you have to overhaul everything uh, that usually spells doom and gloom for that uh, coaching regime so you want to be able to tweak your staff you don't have to overhaul it get the defensive coordinator right I like the names that I've heard I like Kwiatkowski too we'll see if he's able to you know kind of close the deal it's interesting though that he's hired assistants without knowing who the D.C. is. He knows the style and the philosophy, but a lot of D.C.s like to pick their own guys, too. You know, I mean, I wonder if that's one of the reasons some of the D.C.s have decided to go elsewhere because I want to pick my guys. I'm coming in, you know I mean? If I'm going to be making a dinner, I want to buy the groceries. Uh, So I'm sure that's not a huge issue because it's Texas, and Texas can pay the money, and they're hiring really good assistants, too. I mean, Bo Davis and Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon are well-known and well-respected in the coaching community, but every coach has their little 
idiosyncrasies about, oh, I have a linebacker's coach that teaches my defense this specific way, and it really helps to have that guy with that terminology and the verbiage I use, and he teaches it my way. I don't have to coach the coaches and teach them the disciplines mm-hmm. and the infrastructure of my defense that'll save me a ton of time and help me implement things quicker. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know why it's taking so long, but I'm glad he's taking his time to get it right. Yeah, and the discussion about the assistance, it's a great question to pose out there, but it also maybe can lead us, like you sort of said right there, to the idea that Sark understands what his vision is for it. Now he's just trying to get the pieces and he assumes that the guys that he's hiring will be in alignment. It's just we still have to wait and see. Yeah, Rod, I want to go uh, – I did some – like I said, I did some – cyber stalking on Pete Kwiatkowski and just looked at some of the statistical rankings for his Washington defenses. Uh, and, and he and Jimmy Lake were kind of a, a working in tandem to, to run that defense. Jimmy Lake, when you know Chris Peterson decided to retire, obviously got elevated to head coach. Uh, but I, I didn't look at the 2020 season, Rod, because to me, look, a season where you play four games, statistical rankings and even the analytical rankings, to me, it's almost irrelevant at that point uh, in a four-game season. But Starting at 2014, uh, this just kind of jumped off the page at me. Starting from 2014 going through 2019, uh, Matt, I know you're big on this. ESPN, their offensive and defensive efficiency rankings. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where Washington's defense is ranked from 2014 to 2019. Uh, 21st, 9th, 7th, 16th, 15th, and 13th. And then SP Plus defense uh, from 14 to 19, 31st, 27th, 4th, 13th, 4th, 24th. So, you know, and we talk about just an aggressive attacking style. Uh, you know, look at where they've ranked in sacks in, in that same time frame nationally. 2nd, 26th, 19th, 17th, 158th. It kind of fell off. Turnovers forced, 17th, 13th, 1st, 29th, 56th, 23rd. So those big areas we talk about when you talk about, hey, can you force turnovers? Can you create negative plays behind the line of scrimmage? Uh, his defenses have done that. Now, has now Washington has also had some – we, we know they've had great personnel. And, and, Rod, I think the key thing for me in all of this is, regardless of who the defensive coordinator is, something you told me a long time ago, and I live by it because it's been proven to be true, when you look across the college football landscape, unless you unless it's a unique circumstance, 90% of the time in college football when you talk about good defenses, you're winning because of the players you have. You win with players on defense. You can mask some deficiencies on offense, but if you don't have the horses on defense at some point, you're going to get exposed. And my question is, Rod, when you look at this personnel defensively for Texas, going from that bend-but-don't-break style under Chris Ash, now running maybe a more aggressive attacking style under whoever the new defensive coordinator is going to be, do you like the way the personnel on campus right now translates to that kind of style? Um, that's a good question. I mean, you got to replace Joseph Osai, who was your most impactful player on the defensive side of the ball. Um, ball hawks on the back end. I, yeah, I don't know about many ball hawks on the back end. I mean, someone will emerge in this in this in this defense. I mean, that's just the way it always is. There are good players that emerge, and Texas has good players. But it's hard to project right now who would be a star and a standout performer in 
Kwiatkowski's scheme or someone else's scheme. It, 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 there are players there. I'm not so I'm not hating on that. Trust me, there are tons of talent, tons of talent on defensive side of the ball. Um, whether it's been developed or not, that is a question because that's been a question at Texas. Uh, but I thought that you know Joseph Osai was great in that role that Chris has used him in that Jack position. And that's usually what it, you know, if you find some scheme that is compatible with the, uh, the great skill set of a player or a coach can adjust his scheme to the skill sets of players. Like we saw with Todd Orlando in that 2017 year when he had the lightning package, mm-hmm. right? He adapted the scheme to his personnel. And that was a really good job. Now, now I'm not bringing up Todd Orlando saying, oh, Todd Orlando was great. No, 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 just saying. <laughs> he, he did a really good job in that respect. And, and just giving you an example of a coach being malleable and being able to tweak his scheme to his personnel. So there's got to be some of that. And I think Kwiatkowski does show that he has a multiple uh, of enough a scheme that he he can do that if necessary. I yeah, I, I'm trying to think right now who I think the you know the most impactful players would be. They're probably going to be on the defensive line for mm-hmm. Texas, and yeah. to me that's their still their deepest position. Even losing uh, some talent, they'll still be really deep and talented on the defensive line. That's pretty much where you should start building the scheme and the and all the different components should all revolve around that strength. And that sort of sounds like it fits perfect with Kwiatkowski, too, if it were to be that guy because of the fact that, I mean, you look at Coburn and Alfred Collins, just those two not even mentioning the youngsters like Ojimo and others. That's one hell of a group that you could compare to really any other college football D-line outside of, say, Alabama or uh, Ohio State seasons to churn out a new great D-lineman every single year. But when you got names like that, at least it's something that, yeah, you could see how you could form an entire defense's identity around that strength. Rod, let me throw a personnel move at you on the back end where we – you know, we're expecting Terry Joseph to be the cornerbacks coach and Blake getting to coach safeties. Let me throw a personnel move at you to, to see how you like it. Now, there, we heard reports that Jalen Green was entertaining the idea of entering the transfer portal. Um, I spoke to a source close to Jalen Green after those reports came out that said, look, I, I talked to him today. I don't know what he's going to do. As of Monday night, he was still not showing up in the transfer portal. So we'll monitor that. But I bring up Jalen, I bring, I bring up Jalen Green, Rod, to say this. And when they moved him to safety for, for the bowl game, I felt like they moved the wrong corner to safety. Because to me, that safety position, it's all about getting your hands on the ball, creating turnovers, using guys in multiple ways. Am I crazy to think Deshaun Jameson moving to safety is a good idea? Um, if you're just talking about a guy who has great range, no, because we know he has great range because he's a great returner. So he does have great yeah. range, got great ball skills. I mean, he'll remind me of when Nathan Basher played safety for us, which he did under yeah. Coach Aquina. And it was kind of like you said, um, Jeff, it really, you know, for Coach Aquina, he was trying to solve a problem. The problem for him was, all right, I'm going up against the air raid and the spread, and they got four wide receivers on the field. How do I match up? And he figured, yeah, all right, let me just put – my four best cover guys, my four best corners essentially on the field, my four best DVs on the field. Forget that. I'm just going to try to, I'm going to covet guys that can cover, but I'm going to find my four best DVs and end up being Nathan Vasher, Ahmad Brooks at safety, both smaller 
than Quentin mm-hmm. Jammer and Rod B. <laughs> yep. So yeah. it really, and it usually the safeties were bigger than the corners at the time. So it, right, it didn't seem like it made a lot of sense, but it was brilliant because the traits of a guy like Brooks, Brooks was a great tackler. Brooks was a, he was a quarterback in college, I'm sorry, in high school. So he had yeah. great football IQ and he could read the quarterback really well. And he had, he played corner. So of course he could cover. Now he was asking him to cover tight ends. Uh, every now he covered, he can cover slot wide receivers, of course, but covering tight ends and running backs, he could do that all day. And of course he was end up being a good middle fielder because of his ability to read the quarterback because he was a quarterback at one point. And then you had Nathan Basher, who we all know now, one of the greatest ball hawks in the history of college football. And I just said Texas. And he was a great return guy, just like Deshaun Jameson. And those guys always have great range and they got great hands. So when they actually can dial up uh, a great play on the ball, they usually can maximize it and get the turnover. And that's what Nathan Basher did. And playing safety, man, I forgot how many picks he had. I want to say he had probably six picks that year. If I'm not mistaken, I got to go look and see how many picks he had that year, dude. But he was balling on that role in yeah. 2001. So I, you got to go, yeah, man, you really got to look at it from an outside-the-box view. But I'm with you. I'm not going to hate on that. That's actually, like I said, I, I I experienced something very similar. And people thought, that's kind of, that's weird. That looks weird. And it ended up being one of the greatest secondaries in the history of University of Texas at DBU. Because Coach Akina was thinking like you're thinking right now. Like he was looking at traits of a player. Said, there no, you no, go. No. I'm looking at yeah. traits. And he said the same thing with Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas originally, he was going to put him at nickel. Yeah. And he said, he's like, man, he'd be a great nickel. And I still think Earl Thomas would have been a great nickel back. And you know the lineage right. of the nickel back. All those guys play in the league. But he said his range, when he saw him play safety and he saw how he could cover um, so much grass on the football field, he said, I got to put him at safety. Essentially, he would put a blanket uh, over the an umbrella over the entire defense, and that's exactly what he did. And then Coach Aquino, once again, and you will look at Earl Thomas. He's small. Earl Thomas is is not a big safety. He's probably five ten. Yeah, he's maybe? like the best small safety ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, it, it was because Coach Aquino was looking at traits. You gotta you gotta you gotta covet traits of a player sometimes over just the you know, the, the physical specs and, you know, the measurable. Sometimes you look at the traits and be like, you know what? This guy, I know he looks like this type of player, but actually I think he can play this. We're doing it right now at quarterback uh, for the first time probably in history. And you're talking about perfectly right there, Rod. It's a trend across all sports, and we've already talked about it at different positions. But when basically your uh, least uh, favorable attribute is only size, you're actually putting the better skilled player onto the field, and the only quote-unquote deficiency would potentially be is he doesn't fit into the normal box that people put them in really for no other reason and if you focus on just the production on the field the skill set is like no you want to put as many skilled players on the field together and then worry about the other faults if they become an issue but at least give the opportunity to have it done we just talked about it all last offseason with overshone spinning down and we've seen safety spin down and play linebacker and be able because you want to get your best football players the guys that understand their their job and 
man can actually go out there and perform inside it. We see it across sports. You see it. I talk about it all the time in basketball, and it's happening. It's more prevalent everywhere. You got your guys like Carmelo Anthony playing center and Kevin Durant. You're big, and yep. it's on. Oh, Draymond started a big trend, but it's been really like that across all sports for many, many years. And if you can put the highly skilled player into a position where he can go and be successful, and until the glaring issue becomes a problem, you shouldn't on the front end make it a problem that's going to maybe box you out from something that could potentially make you a better defense and be so simple as, let's just get our best 11 out there and see how they go. Yeah, yep. Rod, I, I feel like if you're if you're a not I, I think if you're if you're starting in a place like Texas, ideally you're not a none of those eleven guys are going to be quote unquote bad tacklers. But I feel like if tackling is not your strength, you can mask that at corner to an extent because you're only covering you're only responsible for maybe a quarter, a third of the field. Uh, you know, you got the sideline as the extra as a, as a help defender. Uh, things should flow to your side of the football if if guys on the inside are doing their job right. So maybe you can hide a little bit. But if you're to to your point about Earl Thomas, man, if you're a bad tackler at safety, that's the kind of stuff that costs you games. Yeah, true, and that's why Quandre was so good when you look at his career arc because he was a corner most of his time at Texas. Before now, yeah. he's a top end safety. You know, so a lot this happens across all of football. Yeah, because Quandre was what physical mm-hmm. for a for a guy his size and a guy to play corner. Like man, he's physical as hell. He's as physical as a linebacker. So in the NFL, they're like, well, his trait, his best trait is probably his physicality. Mm-hmm. So let's put him at safety. And at safety, his coverage skills actually are now, you know, at corner, he's a you know he's a good cover guy. But at safety, he's a great cover guy. Yeah, because he's covering linebacker. I'm sorry, he's covering tight ends and he's covering running backs and those what we call those. Um, I call them smart backs, but the air backs, the Alvin Kamara's and the Christian McCaffrey's. He can roll down, spin down, cover those guys, and you can put him in the box because he he doesn't mind hitting. He doesn't mind being physical, and that's one of his best traits, and he's a great tackler. So once again, he's one of those guys that's about his traits that are coveted, and then you look past the measurables, which actually hurt his drafts. Well, and the measurables also, when you talk about it on that end, you look at a guy on the outside, like if you have that one-on-one matchup, a small corner, a diminutive corner can be taken advantage of by skilled receivers. Now, the same thing can happen in the middle of the field against a big uh, tight end or something along those lines, but the thing is, is you sort of trade one deficiency and flaw for another because the, you get the advantage that now you have maybe, say, quicker size, speed, athleticism, compared to that tight end instead of being possibly outweighed multiple ways on the outside at wide receiver. So uh, safety is a good spot for a good cover corner that's only a little small but high IQ and physical to go and spin up. Guys, let's talk about the rest of the defensive staff as it stands. Uh, Rod, I just think it's a solid defensive staff. I mean, Bo Davis coaching defensive line. Look, I, I think that second tour of duty he had with Nick Saban spending some time in the NFL, I think there's a good chance Bo Davis is a better position coach now than what he was when he was at Texas the first time. And he wasn't terrible by any means when he was at Texas from 2011 to 2013. And then on the back end, you know, Terry Joseph, good, solid hire in my opinion. And then Blake Gideon, you know, you get an up-and-comer who – came highly recommended to Steve Sarkeesian from Will Muschamp. So, uh, Rod, I don't, want, I don't I don't know if it's if it's fair to say this is an elite staff. I just think it's a, you know, pending the the DC hire and, and whoever that other assistant coach is going to be, I just think it's a good solid defensive staff. 
Yeah, I mean, I like the hires. Uh, I, it, it's got to be the right mix, right? If you That's what you're doing if you're Steve Sarkeesian. You know, bringing in all, you know, old elite guys is not necessarily a good thing um, because that doesn't always work. Um, bringing in all young guys is not always a good thing. Bringing in all guys you're comfortable with, not always a good thing. Um, you want to have the right mix of, you know, the, kind of the, the guys who know the land, who know the terrain. That would be kind of your guys who know Texas because he doesn't have a lot of Texas ties. Uh, you want to bring in enough national names, and it's got to be the mix. The coaching staff is all about fit. It's all about compatibility. Um, you're combining a lot of ideas and schemes, and you want, the coaching staff needs to get along as well. They need to have the right amount of competitive tension among them, but it also needs to be the right personality mix between the two. Um, it really is like chemistry. Um, too much of one thing is too volatile and can mm-hmm. be toxic, um, but you know, too little of something can end up, you know, being um, something that hurts the staff because you don't have enough of that element or that compound. So, as a coach, building your coach staff is not always about getting all the big names. And all the names, all the all the coaches from Bama to come right over to the staff. It's about getting right. the right guys that fit together. So I, it's hard to say what's a great staff. We don't know that that Mac Brown, you know, reinvention staff was one of the best staffs I think any coach could ever put together. Uh, that was no reason. On paper, to it was that yeah. Manny Diaz, Brian Harson together those great young coaches major Applewhite on that staff oscar giles i mean you had some great co- oh, coach Akina, <laughs> Bo Davis. great coaches on that staff and didn't work it just didn't bring texas back to where it needed to be um so yeah you just you just never really know it's gonna work out and those, those are all great coaches doing doing really well for themselves right now you know coaching at the highest levels of football um, but at the time, it was the wrong mix or the right, the wrong time for a guy like Manny Diaz. All those different things play a role. Sark's the one that's got to figure it out now. Yeah, I'll say this, Rod, about the staff. One thing that I like is you can find ties that bind a lot of these coaches together. Uh, it's not Tom Herman bringing over almost his entire staff from Houston. It's not Charlie Strong trying to kind of hunt and peck and just maybe trying to find the best coach he could without necessarily – didn't seem like chemistry – was necessarily top of mind when he put that initial staff together. So from that standpoint, I want I want to take you back to Mac Brown's initial staff, Rob, that he came to Texas with in ninety seven, oh, yeah. ninety eight, and you know the, the 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 one guy that was supposed to come with him from North Carolina was Carl Torbush, was supposed to come as the defensive coordinator. He ended up getting the North Carolina job, so that didn't happen. So here's the breakdown from Mac's staff. The only guy that really didn't have a tie to anybody in any way, shape, or form was Bruce Chambers. But Mac made a great move, needed to recruit the Metroplex better. I'm going to get the head coach from Dallas Carter, get him on my coaching staff to be my running back's coach. Which guys, as we know, if you're, if you're the running back's coach, you're really getting hired because you're a really good recruiter. Uh, two coaches came with him from North Carolina, Greg Davis and Tim Brewster. Uh, when he needed a defensive coordinator, he went and hired Carl Reese from LSU. Carl Reese brought Mike Tollison with him from LSU. He went and hired, and this is where, Rod, I talk about those ties that bind. This is how I went and did a, a deep dive on this, and I knew having the 1998 Texas media guide on the shelf in my office was going to pay <laughs> off at some point, and this and, uh, this is when it did. He hired Daryl Drake from Baylor to coach receivers. Daryl Drake had worked with Greg Davis at Georgia. Hardy McCrary hired to coach defensive ends. Hardy McCrary had worked with Mac Brown and Greg Davis at Tulane. Tim Nunes came from Marshall, but he had worked with Mac Brown and Greg Davis at Tulane. 
Everett Withers came from Louisville, but he played for Mac Brown at Appalachian State, worked with Greg Davis at Tulane. So all those guys really, except for Bruce Chambers, there was something that tied all those guys together in some way, shape, or form. So it was a brilliant move by Mac to put the staff together the way he did. And, Rod, when you look at the way it broke down, only one of those guys, Tim Nunez, really just got out-and-out fired. Out and out got dismissed. Uh, Everett Withers, after the 2000 season, Rod, as you know, took a job with the Tennessee Titans, gets replaced by Dwayne Aquina. And that was kind of the brilliance of Mac Brown to sustain that run of 10 win seasons was Mac had that Rolodex and hired really good coaches to replace guys who left. Tim Brewster leaves after 2001 to take a job in the NFL with the Denver Broncos. He brings in Mac McCord to coach offensive tackles and tight ends. Uh, when he fires Tim Nunez, he hires Michael Haywood to coach running backs. Bruce Chambers goes to tight ends. Mac McCord takes over the whole offensive line. Hardy McCrary and Carl Reese move on after 2003. He hires Dick Tomey and Greg Robinson. Daryl Drake takes a job in the NFL after 2003. He hires Bobby Kennedy. Greg Davis lasted until 2010, gets replaced by Brian Harson. Mike Tolleson retired that same offseason, replaced by Bo Davis. Bruce Chambers made it all the way to year one of the Charlie Strong era, ended up getting replaced by Jeff Trailer. So, Rod, you had coaches here that lasted a long time off of Mac Brown's initial staff, uh, and a lot of the two, you know, three of those guys, Everett Withers, Tim Brewster, Daryl Drake, they ended up getting promoted, taking jobs in the National Football League. So, uh, I guess if you're if you're going to hire, there's no there's no wrong way to put together a good staff, but kind of when you look at what Mac Brown did, Rod, he he chemistry was a big thing for him because, like I said, all those guys in some way, shape, or form, there was a tie that connected everybody, with the exception of Bruce Chambers. Yeah. No, uh, and that's a great example of uh, a lot of guys. You had some big names in the coaching world. You had Mac Brown go pluck some coaches, even one from the high school ranks, you said, with Bruce Chambers. Uh, brought in Tim Brewster with him, and Tim Brewster ended up becoming one of the the biggest ace recruiters in probably recruiting history, at least modern recruiting yeah. history. So yep. Mac and Mac, of course, was also known for being a great recruiter. So he knew Tim Brewster knew how to recruit. So yeah, he did. He, I think Mac was really good. Mac's always been good at reading people. Um, relationships have always been a priority for Mac. They always were, were that way. And Mac preached family, right? He was a big, big proponent of family, a big advocate of, hey, man, we got to build this program like a family. Uh, when I was there, that was how he ran the program. And I think that was always the case. And he wanted his coaching staff to be the same way. So, yeah, it was important that, oh, man, you do know Hardy McCrary or you do know Tim Nunez. Oh, yeah, you guys work together here. Oh, yeah. So those, you know, those degrees of separation, if you will, those matter to Mac. And he didn't just want to put guys into a situation, a pressure cooker, what Texas is, um, without them having some type of foundation. And that was important to Mac. But Mac is a legendary coach, and you know, I don't. Every coach is not as savvy at putting together staff as Mac was, and even Mac's second staff, as we pointed out, that was a damn good staff. Mm -hmm. just, yeah. you know what I mean, it really was. It still was a really good staff. It just there's a lot of toxicity over there that didn't even allow Mac to be the best version of himself. Uh, and when he went to North Carolina, of course, I think he was able to reinvent himself successfully. So, yeah, I'm with you. It, you just never know what a good staff is. You got you to gotta let that thing simmer. You got to let it cook a little while. And you won't know until, you know, deep until next season, maybe we can figure out, oh, this is working. This looks like it's working. The team is improving. And right now we just got to sit back and trust what Sark uh, decides pretty much. Yeah, and when you trust look at it, 
as a reverse engineering as you just did right there, you can sort of see the way that Mac really understood it. It was that combination of fits, but we only can enjoy that by looking at it after the fact, whenever you sort of go yeah. and deconstruct it and try to tie it together, how did he put the puzzle pieces together? And, you know, that second staff was such a different situation, and that's where Sark right now, he's sort of, you know, he was able to build, assemble his first staff, and he has some experience, but he's now getting his second opportunity and has those relationships. So we'll see what type of chemistry he's able to reinstall in theory here at Texas. Yeah, and – when you look at the offensive staff now, Rod, I mean, there's a lot of ties that bind those guys together. I mean, with Steve Sarkeesian at Alabama, Jeff Banks was there, Kyle Flood was there, A.J. Milwee was there, and you've got a couple of holdover coaches with Andre Coleman and Stan Drayton. Rod, let me, I want to get your, your take on Andre Coleman because, uh, you know, by the way, you can catch Rod B. each and every weekday on the horn uh, on the uh, on the triple option, Darby KD from 3 to 7. And, Rod, when uh, – you know, when the news broke that Andre Coleman was getting retained, when we reported that at Horns 24-7, the news that Andre Coleman was staying kind of fell right in line with what we were hearing about Dennis Simmons staying at Oklahoma after Steve Sarkeesian made a run at hiring him to be the wide receivers coach. Rod, it seemed like initially uh, maybe you weren't a big fan of Andre Coleman getting retained, but have you softened on that, changed that? Where are you at with Andre Coleman being one of the, the two coaches that, that's getting retained off of that Tom Herman staff by Steve Sarkeesian. Well, I don't, I don't think it'll be as big of an issue uh, because I'm assuming Steve Sarkeesian has watched the film, um, or at least started watching film, and he sees that it's an issue with the wide receivers outside to be able to get off simple bump and run coverage. And that was just my main issue with, you know, Andre Coleman. I didn't see the guys get better at that all throughout the year, and I have the stats to back it up, but I won't bore you with that. The whole point is, um, at other positions, you can see guys get better week to week at certain things, especially troublesome areas. And one of the trouble areas for wide receivers is they couldn't get off press coverage on the outside. So Steve Sarkeesian is going to be hands-on with the offense. We know that. He's going to call the plays. No mystery about who's calling the plays, who's running the offense. It's his offense. One of his specialties is scheming guys open. does a really good job of that with compressed formations, with bunch formations, uh, with pre-snap motions and shifts and funk. He does a really good job of that kind of stuff. And so he schemes guys open, particularly wide receivers. We saw that even in the national title game with Devontae Smith. So I think he kept Andre Coleman around because uh, Andre Coleman is beloved by the wide receivers. Jordan Whittington put out, even when they were making coaching changes, that they better keep Andre Coleman, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. almost like a threat. So I think he's beloved. I've heard on the recruiting trail he's beloved. I'm sure parents love him. Uh, And that's a good reason to keep somebody around, especially when you can coach the wide receivers. If you believe that, you're like, no, I can coach these guys. And I can scheme them up. It's not that big a deal to him. Um, And it may be the offseason, having a lack of an offseason, not having spring football, all those things. Maybe that played a role, too. Um, I just think when you have a chance to upgrade, upgrade. But like we said, it's not always about having the best name or – the most prominent coach coaching that position sometimes it is about the chemistry and you have um priorities right certain things you emphasize and maybe for sark because he's so hands-on with the offense he'll figure nope i'll go out there and teach those wide receivers i'll go coach up my coach because i think he's a good coach he just you know he's not really good at teaching this certain technique um so when i get out there i'll teach him how to teach that technique and we'll be fine so i'm assuming he's already 
I'm going to assume the best that he's already looked at the film, watched that, saw that, and it's not a big concern for him. That was my assumption as I worked through it. Yeah, I think, too, you know, some of the stuff we're hearing, we talked a little bit about this last week, some of the stuff we're hearing now, you know, how much uh, control, I guess you could say, Tom Harmon tried to exert over that wide receiver position, kind of viewing himself, and this is according to, to various sources that were around the Tom Herman regime, kind of uh, Tom Herman, I guess, considered himself kind of a wide receiver guru. That was the position he played in college, uh, really had – kind of final say uh, over who got offered. I mean, I, Rod, I, I heard a story of Tom Herman got mad at an assistant coach for, you know, e- extending an offer to Garrett Wilson and not running it by him first. I'm thinking, look, you can't take one look at Garrett Wilson and decide that kid needs an offer. I mean, we need to probably reevaluate some things That's here. That's a power um, issue. But, yeah, wow. so maybe it's, like you said, in addition to watch the film, maybe it's Steve Sarkeesian saying, look, maybe he thinks Andre Coleman's a good ball coach and – Nobody really got to see that last season. Yeah, I've heard some of those things, too. I mean, that's why Tom Harmon's gone, if it's stuff like that. Not yet. He was micromanaging the wide receiver position and uh, thought that, you know, he could be more hands-on there. Now, that, if that's the case, then he's a terrible wide receivers coach then. Because the guy, I was about to say, he overanalyzed <laughs> it to hell. If he's, if, he's being, if he's micromanaging wide receiver and that's the result we got, they should have fired him before the season was done. That's terrible. I could literally <laughs> see that paralysis by analysis almost, too. It's like, he, he's like, we got too many of them. I like them all. I got to get them all out there. It's like, it, 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 I don't know. That's wow. a little bizarre. That's bad. So, overall, as we look at this staff, uh, Rod, anybody that you, you really like that you're high on of the guys that we expect to be a part of this coaching staff? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I like Bo Davis. Bo Davis is a great hire. Bo Davis has a lot of respect in the football community. He's just a damn good coach. Uh, and when he was here at Texas previously, there was a lot of production on the D-line. So I like that move that's expected to happen. Um, I, you know, I like the Kyle Flood move. That's an amazing move. He and certain, it's not that Kyle Flood's an elite O-line coach or anything. I mean, he's, he's, he's damn good. But I think when him and Sark are, and I, like I said, I don't think Sark is necessarily an elite offensive mind. I think he's great. I think he's, he's awesome. But before he and Kyle Flood got together, they weren't making magic happen. It's something about their synergy together um, that makes that that offense really, really creative and really effective at a lot of the uh, the fundamental concepts. So I like that Kyle Flood move. That's a great move. The Jeff Banks move is money because now you got your special teams coordinator who's one of the best. So I love that Jeff Banks move. Um, yeah. As a tight ends coach, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know how much uh, Texas he's going to emphasize the tight end with Sark. So I'm not going to hold that against him. But special teams, I know he's great. I know he's a hell of a recruiter. So that is a, a move I, I'm a big fan of too. And um, I think that my – and Drayton, keeping Sam Drayton is a great move too, actually. I didn't talk about that enough. But that was that should have been a no-brainer because of Bijan – um, and also that running back room and the way it looks. So I, I like keeping Stan Drayton. That's one of my my faves up there, too. Everything else I think I'm kind of lukewarm on. I mean, Terry Joseph, okay. I mean, lukewarm on that. And I like Blake Gideon, actually. I should have said that, too. I'm a big fan of Blake Gideon. I've heard good things about Blake. I know Blake Gideon knows ball. Um, 
and he's been great at special teams, so I'm sure they're going to basically use him as kind of the assistant special teams coach. So I'm not lukewarm on it. I like that. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of that Blake Gideon move. Also a member of DBU, so I, I'm a little biased, of course. And, um, yeah, I mean, everything else is, like you said, it should work out for Sark. I mean, Sark's got a vision. I, I do like that Sark has a vision. It's clear he's got a vision for what he wants. It doesn't seem to me that he is piecemealing this thing together by improvisation and, and on the fly. This does seem to me constructed with premeditation. There does seem to be intent, which I like. If you come into a job like Texas, I hope you had a vision and were ready for the job. Shows that he may be ready for the job, or at least he was ready for this moment because the uh, the coaching staff, I think, is coming together other than the D.C. thing, which is not totally his fault, I think the coaching staff is coming together pretty quickly. That's the only other last domino we're waiting on right there. Yeah, and then a, and then a, a to be determined uh, a to be determined position coach. You know, Rod, this kind of this kind of reminds me of that staff Mac put together in that reinvention going from 2010 to 2011. Because when I looked at that staff, it, it, maybe this is a kind of a notch below that. Because look, I mean, we talked about it on the show today. I looked at that staff and I said, "There's not one hire on this staff that I think is a bad hire." Yeah, you know, on that 2011 staff, and yep. there's not. Charlie Strong had a couple of these. Tom Herman had a couple of them. Where you look at, it and I go, "Really? You couldn't, you couldn't maximize that a little bit better." Uh, I don't feel that way about the staff. Now I know there's going to be some people that question: uh, Is Terry Joseph best used? You know, coaching cornerbacks. Would he be better as a safeties coach? Uh, you know. What what is Blake Gideon going to do? Because you've maybe gotten somebody a little more proven, but I don't think. In other words, Rod, when you know, I, I kind of look at this staff like I look at a recruiting class. Like there's not there's not one that you would just automatically put back. And I and right now with the way this mm-hmm. thing's constructed, I, I couldn't say that about Charlie Strong's initial staff or Tom Herman's initial staff, especially on offense. Right. I mean, that that was yeah. easy on offense for Strong and for Tom Herman. Those some of those offensive hires were heavily criticized on offense because we know Sark's going to be so hands on. Hell, Tom Herman was all cryptic about who was calling the plays. And, <laughs> oh, it's a collaboration. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not. Um, Sark, that's not that's not going to be the case. Sark is taking responsibility for the offense. So there is more confidence um, on my part that if there is a problem that he will directly address it because he's directly responsible for it. So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't know if there's a bad hire. I've been critical of the Andre Coleman move, but I don't know if that's a bad one. Like I said, that's no offseason, no spring. Sark's obviously looked at it. And the players love him, so it, you know they know more than me about Sark. I'm just looking at the film. I, all I do is judge the film. That's it. And I usually do my judgments off of that. But there's a lot more Coach brings to the table um, in terms of what he offers the staff than just that exact product. To me, that should be the top priority, but for some coaches, it's not. Recruiting is a big part of it. Uh, Player-coach relations is a big issue, especially when you've had yep. you know, a staff that had kind of toxicity and there was some um, you know, there was some communication issues with the locker room on the previous staff. When you got things like that, yeah, maybe if, the, if there's a coach that is beloved, that like Andre Coleman, maybe there's a priority to keep him around because he can be he can help you with that transition and exactly. he can help There's you be a facilitator of communication with that locker room. So I, I don't know what's going on. I'm just saying there's a lot of reasons to keep a guy around so I can be critical of it. Doesn't mean it's the wrong move. 
Yeah, and there can be a lot of reasons for that. Uh, keep those guys that transition from the old to the new and then talking about the new ones and how they fit together, you know, sort of like how we were just talking about players at the beginning of the show and not just having to rigidly put them into a box. And it's like, well, maybe this defensive staff's going to work more as a staff and they can actually help one another and feed off one another because of the idea that, you know, conceptually as a defense you have to be aligned. And if you have defense, coach and linebackers coach and a D-line coach. It doesn't matter. They can have feedback to one another and be able to work one better. I mean, communication is never going to be an issue if you're able to have a staff that sort of has that type of alignment in philosophy overall. Okay, one thing I want to address before we uh, before we wrap up this week, uh, because it'll be full bore once we record next week's show, is the Senior Bowl. Texas is going to have two products at the Senior Bowl to Quan Graham and Sam Ellinger. Rod, we know Sam Ellinger is working with the Miami Dolphins staff, and if you're a Sam mm-hmm. Ellinger fan hoping he gets drafted as high as, as possible, I think you would have maybe rather him work with the Carolina Panthers staff since I think they're more likely to take a quarterback in the draft. Even if it's not using a first-round pick on one, they would most likely take one somewhere. I would think uh, maybe the Dolphins are yeah. less likely to do that. Although, although I've seen some mock drafts that have the Dolphins taking Justin Fields. I don't know. Maybe some people are souring on on Tua already. You got to replace but, Fitzpatrick too. Got to have a backup. Yeah, but, but Rod. Yeah. So Sam El- Sam Ellinger is going to work with the Dolphins staff down there. And now that we know, I don't think it, I don't think it's set in stone the structure of the combine. But it sounds like there's basically not going to be a combine as we as we've known it for forever mm-hmm. uh so rod with that in mind i'll start with you i mean this is sam ellinger kind of he's going to be able to meet when you go to the senior bowl you meet with reps from all 32 teams you're obviously they're working with the pro staff uh this is sam ellinger's one kind of big job interview as he goes through this draft process now yeah i think it was a smart move by sam and i don't know maybe someone told them that the combine and maybe he just knew that the combine potentially was going to be a virtual combine. It's going to hurt a lot of guys. The valuation changes uh, change up tremendously. And it puts more emphasis now on the film because you got to go back to the more watching the film three, four different times of a player because that now becomes your lead evaluation tool. You don't have the drills. You're not going to have to be able to time guys to combine. Yes, you can meet with guys, but not meeting face-to-face. You know that's a big difference, meeting someone face-to-face and being able to see how they respond to pressure. That's all the combine is, is a pressure cooker. So for Sam, great opportunity for him, and very few people have. That's why Devontae Smith, maybe he knew too, uh, he decided to get to the uh, get to the Senior Bowl, which is rare for a Heisman Trophy winner. But I think it's just another chance to showcase your ability, considering the combine is not going to be one of those places. I don't know how the pro days are going to work. I'm sure they'll have pro days, but they won't be yeah. as jam packed with scouts as usual. So you're still going to miss out on something in the miss out on one of those data points in the evaluation process. So for Sam, I think it's a great opportunity either way. He, I know he's going to be with the Miami Dolphins side, so i got to go look at you know, their offensive coaches and see the guys he's going to work with all week. But the most important thing for Sam is he's going to be working with a lot of you know great talent around him, right? some of the best talent in the country. Um, that was an issue for him at Texas because at times his wide receivers will let him down and sometimes his you know offensive line will let him down. 
It's going to be an upgrade in the talent around him. It's going to be an upgrade in the coaching. We know he's a sponge. He was the first person to call the Senior Bowl to ask about who's going to be coaching me in the Senior Bowl. Uh, I'm excited for Sam. I think he's actually going to make a really good impression. We know that in the interview process and everybody's seeing him. Um, I'm hoping that he shows them that he can make some NFL throws. We saw it here at Texas. We saw less of them in 2020. We saw more of those NFL-type throws in 2018 and 2019 from Sam. We know it's in there. If he can compile more of those and uh, impress the scouts here at the Senior Bowl, I think Sam can improve his draft stock. I'm not saying he's going to be drafted in the first two or three rounds potentially, but I think he can improve his draft stock and he can get some teams really excited about making him a project potentially as a backup um, or a project that's a uh, circumstantial quarterback. Yeah, you know, when you look at the roster, Rod, it's a shame that, you know, Devontae Smith is going down there. Uh, my understanding is he's not going to be medically cleared to go through any of the drills or, or play in the game because of the, the, the hand injury, the finger injury that he sustained yeah, okay. in the national championship game. But, no, like you said, he's still the good going. thing is that's where he's he's going to be able to meet with reps from all 32 teams. He wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. Uh, so for him, it's a good move. But, you know, looking at the skill talent that's going to be around Sam Ellinger now, as we recorded this, the offensive line groups are supposed to be released for both rosters uh, today. They haven't been released yet. But the three quarterbacks, the two other quarterbacks with Sam Ellinger on the national team in the senior bowl, there's national and American teams. Uh, it's uh, Sam Ellinger, Ian Book from Notre Dame, and Felipe Franks from Arkansas. Uh, a running back, Rod, you've got Ramadre Stevenson from Oklahoma, Khalil Herbert from uh, Virginia Tech. Michael Carter from North Carolina, and in that receiver group, uh, a guy who Sam Ellinger saw a lot of, Tylen Wallace, is in that receiver group. Sam Ellinger Ooh, nice. with down at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, so uh, big opportunity for Sam. We'll see how things turn out with Taquan Graham, and, and on next week's show, we'll have they'll have done weigh-ins, and uh, I think they'll have done a practice by maybe by the time we record next week, so we'll get a better idea of where where things stand at the Senior Bowl. Which like we said a little bit with the combine getting restructured is probably going to be the marquee. Uh, event of uh, of the draft process. So we'll see how everything shakes out for Sam Ellinger, for Taquan Graham, and stay locked in the horns 24-7 to see how things shake out for Steve Sarkeesian putting together uh, this initial coaching staff. And with that, that is going to do it for this week's edition of the show. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. For Matt Farad, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, live and local, digital, on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B each and every week down the triple option from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also get myself and Craig Way each and every weekday from 10 to noon on Light the Tower. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. 
Get every episode of Longhorn Blitz anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcast and hit the subscribe link to get every episode of the flagship state of recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to like us and leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.